Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. I just want to know, how many of you are celebrating the absolute beautiful weather we're enjoying today? Absolutely. I mean, going from minus 33 to minus 3 is definitely worth celebrating. Amen? I mean, I've said it before. We would never appreciate minus 3 weather if we didn't experience minus 33 weather. And that's a principle for life and the attitude with which we need to approach it. Now, you've probably noticed that during the Christmas season, there's a lot of talk about peace. You hear song after song calling for peace in our relationships and in our homes. And and yet, wouldn't you agree there is so little peace on earth? I'm reminded of the story of the mother who was working in the kitchen the day after Christmas, And she hears her son playing in the family room with a new electric train set that he got for Christmas. And the train stops and her son says, Okay, all you turkeys who want off, stop your loitering, collect your junk, and get your tails off the train right now. And all of you morons who want on, get your butts on the train now because we're leaving. Well, mom couldn't believe her eyes. Couldn't believe what she was hearing. And so she stomps into the living room and she says, Young man, we don't act rude like that and talk like that in this house. Now, you go to your room for an hour and you think about your attitude and the way that you're talking to your passengers. In an hour, you can come back. You can play with your your train set as long as you are polite and respectful. Well, the young guy, he goes up to his room, and an hour later, when he returns to resume playing, his mom is still in the kitchen. The train stops again, and she hears him say in very polite tones, all passengers who are disembarking the train, please remember to take all of your belongings. We thank you for riding with us today, and we hope that you had a pleasant trip. For those of you who are just boarding, we would ask that you would store your hand luggage under the seat and we hope that you have a good trip. For those of you who are ticked off about the hour delay, please see the grumpy old nag in the kitchen. (laughs) Isn't it true that even in our homes, too often, there is little peace? You know, since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. And of course, coming out of COVID, most of us would never, will never have known a time when our world has become so unmoored from everything we once defined as normal and leaned on for security and for a sense of peace. I can't recall a time in my own life where there has been greater political and cultural polarization in our nation and around the world, actually, where people are at war with one another, canceling, shaming, labeling, demonizing those that they don't agree with. Add to that the war in Ukraine and the possibility of it escalating into another world war. And many people find themselves in a heightened state of anxiety, fear, and uncertainty, unsure of who to believe, who to trust, 
and genuinely seeking hope and peace in life. We all long for peace, but despite man's best efforts to achieve it, there is no peace on earth. And that is why Jesus came, and also why we celebrate his coming at Christmas. Almost eight centuries before Christ was born, the prophet Isaiah prophesied or revealed in advance these words about the coming Messiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now in the Hebrew language, a person's name means more than you know, the name you use to call somebody or to get their attention. In the Hebrew language, a person's name means the nature and the character of that person. And interestingly, in Psalm chapter 9, verse 10, it says, those who know your name, in other words, those who know your nature, those who know your character, put their trust in you. And so what this is saying is that the more that we know Jesus and the nature and the character of Jesus, the more we will trust him. And the more we trust him, the more we will experience his peace within. Now the prophet Isaiah used four names here to describe who Jesus is. One of them is Mighty God. Many people believe that Jesus was a great man and teacher, but they do not believe that he was God. But you see, here's the thing. It is utterly inconsistent to believe that Jesus was a good man, a, a great teacher, a model of integrity, and then go on to say, but I don't believe he was God. And here's why. Because this good man claimed in no uncertain terms that he is God, making statements like, I and the Father are one. And his claim doesn't give us the option to believe that he was just a good guy. For you see, if Jesus isn't God, as he claimed to be, well then, we can't call him a good man. Because a good and a wise man wouldn't deliberately deceive others about who he is. And yet, here's the thing. Jesus not only claimed to be God, he proved it. He proved it through his profound teaching, but also his jaw-dropping miracles and through the greatest miracle of all, his resurrection. The scriptures teach in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared not only to his disciples, the scriptures tell us that he appeared to hundreds of others all at the same time. And even though I don't have time in this message to make a case for the resurrection, I did that in a series called Why Believe, which you can find online on our church website. What I want to say to you, though, is, is that if you do not believe that Jesus um, um, rose from the grave, if you do not believe that Jesus lives today, then I'm going to challenge you to not put that particular issue on the back burner of your life. It is absolutely too critical to ignore. 
I want to challenge you to examine the case for the resurrection because world-renowned scholars have done so down through the years and have found the evidence so overwhelmingly compelling that they themselves became followers of Christ as a result of their own research. Friends, Jesus lives. He rose from the grave as he said he would, and that proves that he is mighty God. And as Isaiah the prophet points out here, that means that he is also our wonderful counselor. It means that we can go to him with our concerns, our problems, and totally trust him, trust his wisdom, trust his direction in life, because his teachings and his promises in the scriptures are true, and they're trustworthy again because he is God. Because Jesus is mighty God, it also means that he's our everlasting father as Christians. The prophet Isaiah said that he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so when it feels like we're all alone, when it seems like, you know, we've been forgotten, we can know that we're not alone because Jesus is with us always. Which brings us to the fourth name here given to the Messiah. Because Jesus is our living mighty God, he is also Prince of Peace. When Jesus arrived on our planet, the angels announced his coming in Luke chapter 2 with these words. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he came to make a way for us to, to find peace with God but he also came to show us the way to live in peace and harmony with one another. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And folks, even though there is no peace on earth at the political level, at the cultural level, or at the international level, there can be peace at the personal level. Nations may be at war, or there may be turmoil at your office. But you can experience inner peace. Your finances may be a mess. Your marriage or family may be unraveling. But you can still experience peace within. You may feel all alone. But you can still experience inner peace. Because the peace that Christ offers is so much deeper than the absence of conflict. You know, people think that what's wrong with our world is an economic problem. Others feel it's a political problem. Others feel it's an educational problem or a government problem. And there's some truth to all of those viewpoints. But the core reason that there is so little peace on earth is because we have a heart problem. And Jesus came to change the world by first changing people's hearts. And when I think about how Jesus wants to change our world, I'm reminded of Bret Hart's story as told by Bruce Tellman called The Luck of Roaring Camp. Roaring Camp was a mining town at the turn of the last century. 
And it was a wild, forsaken place with more murders, more thefts, more brawling than any other place. It was inhabited entirely by men, cussing, mean-spirited men who worked hard all day and who fought and drank hard all night. There were all these men and one woman who tried to serve them all. Sadly, she died giving birth to a little baby girl. And suddenly, these scarred, hard-fisted men had this wiggling, diaper-filling little baby in their hands, and they didn't have a clue what to do with her. And so they wrapped her in rags and put her in a box. But when they looked at her fresh, beautiful innocence in that grimy old box, they decided that that just didn't look right. And so they sent one of the guys 80 miles west to buy a hand-carved rosewood cradle. He brought it back and they put the old smelly rags and the baby in a rosewood cradle. And now the rags didn't look right, and so they sent another of their number to Sacramento. And he came back with some beautiful silk and lace blankets. So they put the baby wrapped in these beautiful blankets now in the rosewood cradle. And it looked great until someone noticed that the floor was incredibly filthy. So these hardened, tough men got on their knees and with their calloused hands, they scrubbed that floor until it was nice and clean. Of course, that made the walls and the ceiling, the windows look absolutely terrible. And so they washed down the walls and the windows and the ceiling and they put up new curtains. And now things were beginning to look as they thought they should. But of course, they had to give up their drinking and fighting because their brawling not only made a mess of the place, but it woke up the baby. And so the whole temperature of Roaring Camp seemed to go down. During the day, they took her out and set her by the entrance of the mine in her rosewood cradle so that they could see her when they came up. And then someone noticed what a dirty place the yard was. And so they planted flowers and made a nice garden there and it looked quite beautiful actually for a bunch of redneck guys when they held her they noticed how dirty their hands were next to hers and so in no time the general store was sold out of soap and shaving gear and cologne and new clothes too I mean that baby changed everything and everyone in that rough tough mining town you see, that's the power of a baby, but especially when that baby is the Son of God. And that's a picture of the kind of heart change and the kind of life change that happens when we invite Jesus into our lives and allow him to live his life through us. Jesus came to bring peace to our hearts and then through us, to bring peace to our relationships and ultimately to our world. So how does Jesus bring peace to our hearts? Well, one way is by showing us the love of God. People have all kinds of ideas about God these days. They make God up the way they want him to be rather than knowing and worshiping the God who is. They sort of make up God as they go along. They say, you know, I believe in a God who's like this, but I refuse to believe in a God who's like that. 
And then they say, you know, I believe in a God who would do that. But I sure don't believe in a God who would be opposed to that. Ask them on what basis do you believe these things are true about God? And most of them will just shrug and say, well, I don't know. It's just what I think. Well, you see, Jesus came to reveal God's true identity, to make God known or visible to us. Look at what we read in, in John chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus came to correct all the false ideas that we have about God and to introduce us to the God who is. If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. Look at his life. Look at his teachings. Look at what he said. And as I said a moment ago, because Jesus is God the Son, we can trust what Jesus says about the nature and the character of God. And one of the characteristics of God that Jesus has shown us is the love of God, that we are the objects of his love and affection. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. That's pretty all-inclusive. God so loved the world that he surrendered. He let go of what was most precious to him, his one and only son. Now, based on my experience of working with people, I believe many people are not at peace within because they feel unloved. They feel unaccepted, unappreciated. You check it out sometime. And you're going to be amazed at how much of our emotional health as individuals and the health of our relationships is linked to this longing that we have for love and acceptance. Haven't we all witnessed couples grow distant and begin to separate or seen people grow sullen and pull away from their family or their group of friends because somewhere along the way, rightly or wrongly, they concluded that they really didn't matter to those people. Popular author and speaker Eric Weiner, he writes this in his New York Times best-selling book, Man Seeks God. He says, the 17th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal coined the term God-shaped hole to describe the yawning void that is the human condition. Weiner writes, over the years, I've attempted to fill my God-shaped hole with all manner of stuff, food, sex, success, more food, travel, drugs, books, and more food. But nothing filled that void. You see, nothing satiated the void in his life because true satisfaction cannot be found in the things that God has made, including the love of other people. It can only be found in God and God alone. The psalmist writes, my soul finds rest. In other words, peace, true peace. My soul finds rest where? In God alone. In Matthew 6, 19, Jesus warns us not to store up for ourselves 
treasures on earth. In other words, to never base our identity on something that we can lose. For example, if you build your identity around your spouse or your children, and then they reject you, or they leave you in death, what is the basis for your identity then? If you build your identity on your career and your job's eliminated, what's the basis of your identity then? If your identity is based on your money and possessions, what is it going to profit you, said Jesus, if the moment you breathe your last, you realize you gained the whole world and yet you've lost your soul? Or what is it going to profit you if you realize one day that you believed in God, but you didn't know God? If you build your identity on your looks and your beauty fades over time, which, trust me, it will, what will be the basis of your identity then? You see, Jesus came to remind us that the only thing that we can never lose, the only thing that can never be taken away from us is our relationship with him, our friendship with him, and his unconditional love for us because he is eternal God. Now make no mistake, friend, people will disappoint you. They're going to let you down. If in no other way, as I said a moment ago, they'll disappoint you by just leaving you in death. But not so our Heavenly Father. He and His love is eternal. It doesn't change. It's for keeps. Jeremiah 31 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And so all that to say, you really matter to God. And so when you put your trust in Jesus, what happens is you now receive a new identity that's based on your relationship with him and not anything else that's temporary. No, it's based upon your relationship with him. And from that moment on, you are no longer what your resume says you are. You are no longer what our culture says you are. You are no longer what other people say you are. You are not what your stuff or your accomplishments say you are. No, you are who the Lord Jesus says you are. And he says you are a royal priesthood, a precious child of the King of kings and Lord of lords, whom he loves and whom he has died for. And when you finally understand that and you embrace Christ, you put his, your trust in him, you're going to experience the peace of God in your life that passes all human understanding. And so this is one way that Jesus brings peace to our hearts. He shows us God's amazing love for us. Secondly, God brings peace to our hearts by forgiving and extending grace to us. You know, my sense... Excuse me. I want to sneeze, but I can't. All right. <sighs> Hang on. It's coming. All right. But my sense is that many people are not at peace within. In fact, many friendships, uh, many marriages and families are, are really in turmoil because one or more of the people involved is struggling 
with big-time regret. And here's the thing. There will be no peace in our lives and in our world until we find peace in our hearts. And peace will never come to our hearts without genuine confession and forgiveness. We all have regrets. We have all done things we wish we hadn't done. We've all said things we wish we hadn't said. The Bible reminds us that we all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory, the holiness, the perfection of God. And the sad thing is, I regularly talk to people who believe that they are doomed to live with these regrets the rest of their lives. They can't get on with the present because they are stuck in the regrets of the past. And the reality is, if you harbor regret, or if you have not forgiven someone and you're nursing hurt or bitterness towards someone, then you are not free. You are in bondage to that regret or to that hurt. And where there is bondage, there is no joy and there is no peace. If you boil it, so the question is, how do you atone for your sin and your regrets? How do you make it right? Well, if you boil it right down, every religion outside of Christianity teaches the way to atone for your sins is to earn God's favor through good works and or through faithfully performing religious rituals and or through following some five-fold paths or eight-step process and so forth. The problem is, even though people try to do so, we can't do enough or be good enough to atone for our sins. I mean, for example, how can you possibly measure the hurt and the harm committed for slandering someone? Just think about that. And even if you could measure it somehow, how do you make amends for assassinating someone's character? You see, it's impossible. And you see, that is our problem. Yes, as we've seen a moment ago, God is loving and he is a gracious God. But he's also a holy and a just God and he just can't turn a blind eye to injustice or to the wrongdoings on our part. And so we not only face judgment, but separation from God for eternity for the sins and the crimes that we've committed against God and other people. And there is absolutely nothing we can do about it in our own strength. But the good news of Christianity is God knows we can't ever atone for our own sins. And so God does an amazing thing. Because of his great love for us, God the Son became a man. And as a man, he died for you and me. And on the cross, Jesus willingly took your place and my place of judgment. And he paid for our spiritual crimes, our spiritual debt, and our regrets with his own blood. While Jesus was dying on the cross, God took our sins and placed them on Jesus. And he took the perfect righteousness of Jesus, the God-man who never sinned, 
who never sinned. He took his perfect righteousness and placed it on us, making us clean and acceptable to God and satisfying God's justice. This is one of God's greatest gifts. Colossians 2.14 says this, He forgave us all, not some, but all our sins, having canceled a charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus took our place and allowed himself to be nailed to the cross so that we could stop nailing ourselves to the cross, as it were. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, for those who have put their trust, their faith in Jesus. Jesus said, I don't want to condemn you. I came to save you and to change you from the inside out by living my life through you. Jesus says, I want to give you peace within by giving you the opportunity to be set free from the sin, the regrets, and the shame you've been lugging around all this time. And I want to give you a new start. When we put our trust in Christ and we ask him to forgive us, we can know that we're forgiven. The price has been paid. The debt's been canceled. We are free in Jesus Christ. My question of you is, is that have you embraced Christ? Have you embraced his forgiveness? Is everything okay between you and God? How about your relationship with other people? Everything good there? See, you're never going to know peace until you make your peace with God. And you're never really going to know peace or joy unless you make your peace with others. Maybe they don't want to make peace with you. That's a different subject. But as far as it depends on you, have you done everything you can to be at peace with others? You won't know his peace until you found your rest in him. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a few moments. And so Jesus brings peace to our hearts by showing us the love of God and secondly, by showing us the grace and the forgiveness of God. And then thirdly and finally, he brings peace to our hearts by giving us a purpose worth living for. Many people struggle with feelings of emptiness and restlessness because even though they may experience the best of what this life offers, life rarely matches our expectations. Perhaps you've noticed that. And as a result, people see uh, no ultimate meaning for their existence. And they, and they wonder, you know, is this all that there is? Is this it? Is this as good as it gets? Comedian Jim Carrey was speaking from personal experience when he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed about doing so they can see it's not the answer. The reality is, Life ultimately disappoints us. Not only because we leave everything that we're kicking and screaming and striving for, we leave all of that behind. But also because we were made for so much more. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in our hearts. When we by faith invite Jesus to be our Lord and King, He invades our lives and gives us God's eternal perspective of life. 
And he gives us a purpose that's not only worth living for, but you know it's actually worth dying for because it's a purpose that outlasts us. When you resign from being the center of the universe, and by the way, I highly recommend that, but when you resign from being the center of the universe and you let Jesus, the Lord of the universe, take his rightful place as Lord of your life, your character begins to reflect his character and your life begins to reflect his life of love and your heart begins to break over the things that break his heart. In short, as Jesus changes us, he increasingly begins to change others and our world through us. In the same way that that baby that I talked about earlier changed the hard-crusted hearts of the men of Roaring Camp. You know, some people say they like Jesus. They're really cool with Jesus. But they have no interest in the church that Jesus established. Because in their words, they aren't into organized religion. And yet, you check it out sometime. I, I challenge you, if that at all reflects where you're at, I encourage you to study history a little bit. And you're going to find that down through history, almost every ministry to the poor, every ministry to the sick, the orphaned, the homeless, and the hungry around the world, the establishment of hospitals, the establishment of education, the war against human trafficking more recently, almost all of these were started and continue to exist today because followers of Christ in response to his call came together as a church and gave their lives to praying and planning and organizing to make these ministries a reality. And you see, private spirituality doesn't do that. History has clearly shown that atheism, agnosticism, and private spirituality have most often left it to someone else, namely Christians and the church, to address the festering needs of humanity around the world but not so for Christ's followers. The closer you get to Jesus, the more his heart will affect your heart. The more you will want to join together with others in demonstrating the love of Jesus in practical ways to meet the needs of those around you. And as you give your life away in love for others, not only will you no longer feel bored, like, by the way, the emerging generation, that describes the emerging generation in our culture. There is major boredom out there. The highlight of people's day is scrolling through Instagram. Hours of it. When you give your life to Christ, no longer, you're no longer going to feel bored. You're no longer going to be in that place where you... You feel like you have no meaning and purpose in life. No, you're going to be blessed with the wonderful passion and the peace of God that passes all human understanding. Okay, so let me wrap up and land the plane. I know that some of you were brought here under great duress. You are here because a parent or a close friend or a co-worker or a neighbor has been bugging you for weeks and however long and they finally dragged you here. There are heel marks all the way across the parking lot. 
And you're probably sizing us up and you're wondering what kind of strange, motley group of people we are. Well, let me cut to the chase of who we are as a church. We are a collection of moral foul-ups and failures. In other words, we recognize that we're broken. And that, as the scriptures tell us, we have all sinned. And we fall short of the glory and the perfection of God. We're a group of people who somewhere along the way face the truth about ourselves that we have a heart problem, that there is something inside of us that would rather rule than serve, that would rather win than lose, that would rather have than give, that would rather hate than forgive. We came to the place where we were honest enough to face our dark side and say, Jesus, I can't lick this on my own. I can't fix what's wrong with my heart. I need you to give me a new heart and also a new start. We came to the place where we said, Jesus, before I destroy my relationship with my spouse or with my children or with my friends, please, I need your help. Before I continue on the path that I'm on and destroy my life and my future, please, Jesus, please, I need your help. And as people humbled themselves, and as they leaned into Jesus and put their trust in him and began to follow him and his ways and began to walk with Jesus, we've seen bitter and angry people become more loving and forgiving. We've seen greedy people become more generous. We've seen people who lusted for the spotlight and the corner office at the corporation become servants of others. We've seen many relationships healed and restored. And folks, I'm here to tell you that Jesus can be trusted and that he is the answer to what's hurting you and, and what you're struggling with today. I'm here to tell you that he has totally changed my life. And he wants to do a new thing in your life as well. You don't have to come to the end of your life with huge regrets and live without hope, peace, or joy. Through Jesus, you can start over again in your family. You can start over again in your marriage, uh, in your relationships with others. But you see, that's where the rub comes. You can know all of this. You can even say you believe it all. But if you don't act on it, your heart will remain unaffected and unchanged. And you will remain far from God and far from his best and his purpose for you. You have to make a decision. And it is here where it gets real personal. The question is not, does God love you? Or will God forgive you for what you've done and bring peace to your aching heart? We've clearly seen from the scriptures that he does love you and he will forgive you. The issue is, will you humble yourself? Will you reach out to him in faith and ask him for his forgiveness and then accept the forgiveness that Jesus came to provide for you? I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and to give your life to him right now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. 
I'm going to close with a prayer, not unlike the one I prayed many years ago, that changed my life and the entire trajectory of my eternity. If you'd like to become a friend and a follower of Jesus Christ and experience his peace and live the life that he created you to live, then even if you feel like you don't understand it all, you've got all these questions, even if you feel like you haven't figured it all out or that you're not worthy or that you don't have it all together, I invite you to take the first and the most important step. That first and most important step of beginning a friendship with him. And it's simply reaching out to him with a simple prayer. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And by the way, God knows your thoughts. And so you don't need to pray out loud. The important thing is that you pray it sincerely from the heart. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and pursuing me. I admit to you that I have a heart problem that's not only robbing me of peace and joy, but it's messing. It's messing up my relationships, my relationship with you and also with others. And I acknowledge that I, I can't fix this myself, Lord. I need you to do what I can't do. Thank you for sending Jesus to our planet to die for my sins, for the opportunity to be forgiven and for the power to live victoriously going forward. Please forgive me of my pride, my selfishness and sin, Lord. Come into my life, change my heart and make me into the person that you want me to be. I want to be your friend, to become more like you, Jesus, and to engage in the adventure that you intended for me to live. Guide me and use my life in whatever way you want to, to bring hope where there is despair, love where there's apathy, and peace where there is turmoil. I love you, I trust you, and I intend to follow you wherever it is you lead me. For I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, and many have, but if you prayed that prayer, and you said yes to Jesus, what I want to say to you now is welcome home. Welcome home. And church, would you welcome those who prayed that prayer right now? God bless you. Now let me explain something to you. See, in the spiritual realm, a miracle has just taken place. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old is gone. All those regrets, all those things that, you know, been in a backpack that you've been lugging around all this time, that's gone. And the new has come. Because you asked Jesus in simple faith, Jesus has come into your life. You're a new creation in him. And as you continue to trust him, as you continue to walk with him and learn more about him and his ways, he's going to live his life through you. His love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, it's going to start coming through you. 
and you're going to experience the peace of God like you never have. Now, before you leave today, I want to encourage you to tell someone. Tell the person you came with, you know, that person that dragged you here. Tell them about this decision that you said yes to Jesus. Tell the person you came with or tell one of our team members who are wearing lanyards or tell the prayer partners who are going to come up here at the end of this service. They would love to pray with you about your decision or pray with you about anything else that's heavy on your heart. Just make your way up here. They'd love to pray with you. If you're online, there are chat hosts ready to pray with you right now as well. And so whether you made a first-time decision to follow Jesus today or perhaps today you recommitted your life to Christ, please help yourself to that little response card. It's in the seat back in front of you. It's, it's very small. Just take that out. Those of you at other campuses, perhaps you received it when you came into the campus. And just take a moment right now and fill out that card. And then drop it off in the baskets. They're by the exits on your way out. Or you can give it to one of the prayer partners at the front if you wish. We want your contact information for only one purpose. Not to bug you, but to be available to answer your questions and to encourage and assist you in your spiritual growth going forward. If you're online, you can text YES to the number on the screen, 403-293-3900. And I want to encourage you to call that same number during the day next week so that we can arrange to provide you with some resources to guide you and help you in your spiritual growth. And then one last thing. I just want to address those of you who are Christ followers here today. What has the Spirit of God been saying to you through our time together about the state of your friendship with Jesus? In a moment, we're going to close with another Christmas hymn. But before we do, I want to give all of you a moment just to quietly reflect and to ask the two questions we become accustomed to asking around here at the end of the service. And those two questions are, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me through what I've heard, what I've experienced? And secondly, what are you asking me to do about it? God bless you. As you just spend a few moments now reflecting on those two questions.